Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. It's been a few weeks since I've been in the pulpit on Wednesday night. And I appreciated Pastor Joseph taking over for me last Wednesday as I had to attend a meeting that I had not been planning to attend. And, of course, the week before that, Pastor Hagen was in the pulpit, and that was a blessing. But I've been itching to get back into God's Word on, on faith. And the more I study this and the more I meditate on it, the more crucial I realize it is. And I've been in faith for studying faith on and off for 30-some years, been to a faith school, preached faith, taught faith, and, and there are new, fresh things opening up. The wonderful thing about God's Word is it's fresh and it's new. And just as about the time you think you understand something, the Spirit of God will open your eyes, and it's like going into a brand new room and finding out there's, there's more to understand because God is living and vital and alive, and His Word is living and vital and alive. And if you go through a period of time when it becomes stale to you, just keep at it. We all go through those times. Just keep at it. Just don't quit. Just keep at it. Just keep at it. Just keep at it. And that freshness will come back to you. It'll come back to you, and just, just don't quit. We have all go through those dry spells. And, just, and God, the Spirit of God will bring you out. When we're going through those, that's when we do it by faith. That's right. yeah. It's wonderful. When I open my Bible, it's like, wow, ooh, ah, yeah. And you're praying. It's like, oh, God, your presence is so wonderful. You don't have to do that by faith then. I mean, you can feel it. But when you open your Bible and you go, ever, ever read that verse and say, I don't know what I just read. Go back, I don't know what I just read. Now, I'm going to really concentrate this time. And the harder I concentrate, the more I don't know what it just said. I'll give you a clue. Start reading it out loud. Start reading it out loud, and it gets it easier when you do that. In fact, it's a good idea to do that anyway, depending on where you are. Just read it out loud. Praise God. Well, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you've given to us your word. And now as we prepare to open it together, we look to the anointing of your spirit that's upon this word, and your anointing that's upon the preached word, Father, that, that the word would become rhema. It would become alive in us tonight, Father. Open our eyes to see things we've never seen before. Your word says that there are things that you've prepared for us that our eyes have not seen, that our ears have not heard, and it's not even entered into our hearts all that you have prepared for those who love you. We're here tonight because we love you. So you prepared things for us that we've not seen yet and we've not even imagined yet. But your word goes on to say they're revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, tonight we look to you to open the eyes of our understanding that we would see all that our Father has prepared for us. And we'd see those tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we've talked about how important faith is. We've talked about the fact that faith, we're saved by faith. We've talked about the fact that we, that we walk by faith. And that everything that we do with God is we must do by faith. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's the only thing I know of in the Bible that says it's impossible to please Him without. So without faith, it's impossible to please God because in order to come to God, you must believe that He exists, that He's real, that He's really there. And the second thing you must believe about Him is that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. In other words, He'll respond to you. There is nothing that makes your relationship with God more alive and more real than when you've asked him something and he's answered it. There's nothing that makes this relationship God more real to you than when you've come to him, especially with a situation where there's no other answer but God. 
and then you see God come through for you. It, 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 it makes his, his relationship with you more real. You believe in him, but it makes it more real. Now, it's interesting, in the, in, I think it's in John's Gospel, when Jesus has been raised from the dead and he comes, he comes into the room and when the scene opens and the disciples are all gathered together and they're all sharing how they've seen Jesus, he's risen from the dead, and Thomas comes in. Remember what Thomas's nickname is? Doubting, doubting Thomas. How'd you like to have a nickname of Doubting Ron or Doubting John? <laughs> no, Doubting Forever, his name is Doubting Thomas. And he comes in and he says, they tell him, he says, he, says, he doesn't say, I can't believe. He says, I won't believe unless I stick my fingers in his hands and my hand in his side. No sooner has he finished saying that than Jesus just appears in the middle of the room. And Jesus goes over to him. And see, I've heard people preach this and just blast Thomas and say, oh my goodness, Thomas was you know, barely a disciple. He should be shamed. Jesus doesn't say that to him. He takes his finger and says, stick it in my hand. He meets him where he is. He says, if that's what you've got to do, go ahead and do it. If you've got to touch me to believe, then go ahead and touch me. And if you've got to stick your hand in my head, go ahead and do it. But then he goes on and says an interesting thing. He says, you believe because you've seen and touched me. But these next words are so crucial. Blessed are those who do believe, but they haven't seen. So there's a blessing when we believe things we have not seen. Why? Because it's natural faith. There is a natural human faith. There's a natural human faith, but it has to see in order to believe. It's a form of believing, but it's a, it's a weak form of believing. But the God type of believing, the type of believing that gets results from God, that receives results from God, is a type of believing that believes when we don't see. And there's a blessing on that. There's a blessing on that. What I want to talk to you about tonight is why so many people operate in what they think is faith and are not receiving. Because understand this, God's Word works. God's Word works. Now you have to do what His Word says. Because God won't do it on your terms. I don't care how much we cry and plead and and tell Him how how, how much we need it, God will only work on His terms. Because this is a shocking revelation, He's God. And I can save you a whole lot of heartache. I tried changing it the other way around and trying to convince him to do it my way. It doesn't work. He can hold his breath longer than you can. He can outlast you. You need him more than he needs you. He loves us. And so it's learning to adjust our thinking to what he requires. And that's called renewing your mind. And so... We're looking at Hebrews chapter 11, and look at it, says, it starts out, it's a definition of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, some translations say faith is the confidence, and we've talked about this word substance. It means both confidence, and it means something that's substantial. But what I want you to see here is there's a distinction drawn between hope and faith. Because if faith is the... In fact, one of the translations is faith provides substance to the things that we hope for. It provides some substantiality 
to things that we hope for. That tells me that hope and faith are not the same thing. And what I've discovered, even in my life, as well as in listening to other people, is many times we mistake hope for faith. So we're believing certain things. You know, you can believe and not be in faith. I'll explain that to you later on. You can believe and not be in faith. Hope is not faith. And faith is not hope. Otherwise, the writer of Hebrews would not say, faith provides substance to hope. Because if faith and hope are the same thing, it wouldn't need to provide substance to it because they'd be the same thing. Are you following me? Now I'll show you what the difference is. Turn with me to Romans. Keep your finger here. We'll be come back. Romans chapter 8. Oh, this is fun. Verse 24. Now, this is going to sound strange to you at first. For we are saved by hope, by this hope. Now, I thought we're saved by faith. We are, but that this hope is referring to our hope of the redemption of our body, which is what verse 23 talks about. But let's move on. But hope that is seen is not hope. In other words, for why does one still hope for what he sees? In other words, and seeing doesn't just mean with your eyes. It means anything that your senses can detect. And in the very beginning of our study, we started out by understanding that there are two realms of existence that the Bible teaches us about. There's this natural material realm, which is what your body's made up of, what that chair is made up. It's what we spend the most of our time relating to. And it's anything that anyone or all of your five senses can detect. It's this material realm. So if you can see it, feel it, touch it, hear it, or taste it, it's of this material realm. So your bodies of this material realm, that this floors of this material realm, that chairs of this material realm, because you can f- see them and you can feel them. Or if you want to, you can taste them. I wouldn't recommend it, but you can if you want to. But there's another realm of existence, which is the spirit realm. And the spirit realm, by definition, is something that exists that your senses cannot detect. And there's a whole realm of existence out there. We've talked about the story in Kings where, where, where the prophet, the, the servant or the prophet comes out and, and, and they're alone in the town of Dothan and he comes out and goes down to the master and says, Master, Master, this, we're surrounded by Syrian troops. We're overwhelmingly outnumbered. And the prophet comes up and looks out and says, Oh, don't worry, there's more with us than are against us. Amen. And the servant looks out and he goes, 100,000. 200,000, 300,000, 400,000, one, two. But the prophet saw something that the servant didn't see. And he said, Lord, open the eyes of the servant. And when his eyes were opened, the servant saw that surrounding the city 
and surrounding those 400,000 troops were a host upon host of flaming of angels of the Lord, flaming fire in their hand. Because the Bible says the angels of the angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear Him. The servant could see this. The prophet could see something by faith that the servant didn't see until something supernatural happened. Now, when did those angels get there? When Gehazi opened his eyes and saw them? They were there all along. It's only when God supernaturally opened his eyes that he could perceive that something was there that was already there all along. The prophet saw them by faith. He knew they were there because he knew what God's word said. So he wasn't moved by how many Assyrian troops were lined up there because his confidence is in what God said, not what he could see. So when Romans 8.24 says, for, for we, if we don't hope for what is seen, because you don't need, hope means you're looking for something that you don't have. And all he's saying is if you've got it in your hands, you don't need to hope for it, you have it. So I don't need to hope to have a pair of glasses that would be silly to say that. I'm saying, boy, you know, I'm really hoping to be able to get a pair, a pair, a new pair of gla- a pair of glasses. I really am hoping to get it. And, and Bill says, Pastor, <laughs> you need to open your eyes. What is that in your hands? Oh, I already have the glasses. Now, how do I know I have them? Because I can touch them. How do I know I have them? Because I can see them. So I don't hope for something I can see. Because if I see it, I already have it. I don't have to hope for it because I have it. That tells us that hope is always something in the future. This is very important to understand. Hope is always talking about something that you don't have yet in your natural senses. In other words, it's in the future. Let's look at Romans chapter 4. talks about Abraham's faith, and we'll come back here later on in our study and look a little more at that. Let's start in verse 16. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Look at verse 18. Who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he might become the father of many nations. In the New American Standard, it says, in hope against hope, he believed. In other words, in biblical hope, which I'll explain to you in a minute, against all natural hope, he believed. In other words, it was a, it was a stronger type of hope. He believed in order that he might become. Well, if you're going to become something, you're not already it. So your hope, when you're hoping for something, you're talking about something that you may believe is coming, but you don't have it yet. And here's where people get confused. Because you may ask them, well, you know, Bill, do you believe? Do you believe God's, what do you believe that God's going to, he said, I believe God's going to heal me. And that's fine and that's proper, but that's not faith. That's not faith. That's believing it's going to happen. Going to happen is in the future. That's hope. This is where many people miss it. 
They'll read scriptures, they'll see God's promised them something, and they'll claim that as theirs. And what they're claiming is, because God's promised that I'm going to have that someday. And that's fine. But you don't stop there. That's just hope. Hope's what you've set your goal on. One, one well-known teacher, and it's a great example, calls it the thermostat. So you've got a, a cold winter day, which is kind of hard for us to... That sounds good right now in a way, as long as it's just a day. Then you get up in the morning and you know, oh, it's cold. And you run out and you look at the thermostat and it had been turned down to 55 during the night. And it's freezing. No wonder it's cold. The thermostat. You say, all right, where do I want this... Where do I want the temperature of this house to become? Well, I want it at 68. So what do you do? You take the thermostat... And you don't turn dials anymore, you press buttons or whatever. And you now set the thermostat at 68. Is it 68 yet? No. But you don't go worried about that because you've now told the furnace where the power is, where you want it to bring the temperature of the house to. You've got to set the thermostat because it sets the goal for where you're believing for. But that's not faith. Faith is when you see what God... Hope is when you see what God's promised and you say, I want that. I believe God's provided that for me. And that's important. You have to start there. But what many people do is they think, now I'm in faith. And so they rest on that. Simply because they don't understand. If that's all that was needed, then why would we have to give substance to something we've hoped for if hoping for it is enough? Now let's talk about what hope means. Because the word hope in the New Testament means something very different from what we usually use it as in our normal English. In our normal use of English, the word hope is a very weak word in most cases. So if I say, you know, do you, you know, do you believe the Red Sox are going to win the pennant? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Which means I'd like it to happen, but I'm not telling you how much confidence I have. Now think this out, because this is what we do. So we read that word hope, and we think that's what it means, but that's not what it means. So in our normal use of the word, hope means I'd like that to happen, but I'm not sure I've got a lot of confidence that it is going to happen. But the word hope in the New Testament, especially here, is the Greek word elpizo, E-L-P-I-D-Z-O. And what it means is a confident, steadfast expectation. And as I studied into the word a little further today, I found out that it also has a connotation of a confident expectation of something good about to happen. That's what the Bible means by hope. So when it says things hoped for, it means something that you've seen God's promised and therefore your expectation has risen and you have much more confidence now that you're going to have it. But that's not faith. That's hope. And this is where people miss it so many of the time. Not all, but this is where a lot of the times we're missing it because we think, but I was in, ho- I was in faith. But listen to your own words. Are you describing what you're believing as something that's going to happen? If you're using words that imply anything other than this moment right now, 
It's hope. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just understand that's just setting the thermostat. That's just setting the thermostat. There have been a couple of times since we lived in our house where I've, you know, got up in the morning, I set the thermostat. We've got an automatic one now. Set this thermostat. I'd get up early, set the thermostat, get back into the nice warm bed, and then get up in half an hour, and it's just as cold. Well, I don't take the thermostat and throw it out. Something's wrong, but most likely it's wrong in the basement with the furnace. Now, it's possible the thermostat's not working correctly, and what I'll usually go down is go down and find out the pilot light was out. But without the thermostat, nothing's going to happen in the basement. Nothing's going to happen with the furnace because the thermostat, firm, the furnace is waiting for the thermostat to tell it where it wants the heat in the house to get to. All the furnace knows how to do is heat up, in my, our case, air, because we have a forced hot air system. That's all it knows. It doesn't know when to come on. It doesn't know when to go off. It just waits for the thermostat to tell it to turn on. And it waits for the thermostat to say, the goal has been reached. It's time to shut it off. So you need the thermostat and you need the furnace, but they're not the same thing. And if you don't understand the difference when it comes wintertime, you're going to have a problem. So you need to understand in order to have a nice, comfy, warm house in the winter, or if you've got air conditioning, a nice, cool, comfortable house in the summer, you've got to understand the difference between the thermostat and the furnace or the AC compressor outside, whichever you're operating. And that's what we're learning what the difference is. It's not condemnation. It's learning to understand the way God set this up and the way God's provided this. Okay. All right. So we see now that hope and faith are not the same things. The reason it needs substance, hope needs substance, is because hope lacks substance. Because hope is all mental. I hope it's going to happen. I can see it's possible. I read God's word. I see God's promises. Therefore, I believe it's possible that God could heal me, would want to heal me. Or we may even believe that God's word says that he wants to heal, it's his will to heal me or it's his will to provide for me or it's his will to do anything. God's will, word says that. So I believe that. That's the truth. That's hope. But faith is going to another level. It's when now substance is given Amen. to what we've hoped for. Substance we've talked about is something that's tangible. My glasses are tangible. Tangible means it's touchable. You can experience it with your sense of touch or with any of your senses. We talked about the fact that in order to have confidence that something belongs to you, you have to have some basis to believe that, something that gives you some, some substance to believe. So when it comes to things in the natural realm, my fingers can touch it. So I know, I know, I don't need faith or hope to know I have glasses because I can see them and I can touch them. And so the confidence I have is I can touch it. So if I wake up in the middle of the night and I just want, I want confidence that, that Anita is there with me, all I got to do is reach over and touch her. And if I reach over and I can feel her shoulder next to me, then I have confidence that she's there because I can touch her shoulder and, and feel her there. That gives me, that, that substance lets me know it's true. So in order to believe what we're hoping for at the next level, we have to have something that provides that kind of substance from which we can get confidence. And that's what faith does.
That's what faith does. So hope is the thermostat. Hope is what I want to see happen. Hope is necessary because it sets goals, but hope is always in the future. Always in the future. Now let's look at the difference between the timing of hope and the timing of faith, because that will tell you which one of the two you're in. Now I've heard some teachers, we'll go back now to Hebrews 11, I've heard some teachers teach it this way, and it's not accurate. The principle's right, but the reason's wrong. Because Hebrews 11.1 starts out, Now, faith is. And I want to share this with you, because if you really do a study, you'll find out that what some of them teach is not true, but the principle's true. The word now is the word de in Greek, which simply is a transition word like therefore or because of. It has nothing to do with time. But this verse does talk about time. Because hope is in the future, but faith provides substance to that future hope. And when do you experience the substance? Now, what, so, to have something to have substance, you have to be experiencing it now, or there's no substance to it. I'll go over this again, because it's not as complicated as it sounds. I'll bring it back to this. These glasses, there was a time when I'd ordered these glasses, I'd gone into the, had my eyes checked, went to the optician and had them do the prescription and picked out their frames, and then I gave them the deposit, which was an act of faith, because <laughs> they weren't cheap, so I gave them a large deposit. They wanted half of the money. They wanted me to trust them more than they trusted me, which is okay. So I, we, we wrote the check out, gave them the check, they gave me a little slip, no glasses, just a little slip, and I went away saying, I've got a new pair of glasses. In a week I came back, I still didn't have glasses in my hand. So I had a hope of having them, but, but I had nothing tangible in my hand. When I came back, sat down with her, and she brought them out, and I now could see them and touch them and then put them on, now they had tangibility to me. When did they have tangibility to me? What did I just say? Now. So when something becomes of substance to you, it has to be now because your senses have to be able to detect it. If your senses can't detect it yet, it's still in the future. You still with me? You following me? So faith always is now. Now let me show it to you more clearly in Jesus' teaching. Turn with me to, to Mark chapter 11. Very familiar verse. But this is the key. I'd gone through two years of Bible study with an apostle of faith teaching me. I had studied it, preached it, done Greek studies on it, but I was sitting in my car one day, I think three or four years after I graduated from Bible school, 
listening to Fred Price read this verse, and suddenly I saw it. It dropped what I call that critical 18 inches when it drops from your head to your heart. And when it drops from your head to your heart, you know it. It's like the first time I got on an airplane in a, in a, in a rainstorm. And, you know, it was a overcast. I remember it was, I was a little, it was a young boy. And it was pouring rain. My father took me in an airplane, and we got above the clouds, and I discovered the sun was out. I'd never experienced that before. To me, as a child, whenever it's raining, the sun's not there. The sun's in. But that's because my perspective was blocked by the clouds. Once I got above the clouds, I discovered the sun was always out in the daytime. Whether it's raining down there or not, the sun's still out. It's just there's clouds blocking our, our view of it. Clouds are blocking our view of it. Well, the same is true here. Sometimes It was blocking my view until suddenly I saw it with these eyes in here. Mark 11, we'll start with 20, 22. We spent time on 22 before. Have faith in God. That's the key. And then he teaches this principle, and we've shared before. This is Jesus is teaching his disciples because he wants them to understand how to do what he just did. His prayer was answered. And he's teaching them how to have his prayer answered, and actually he didn't pray to God. He spoke to a tree, and it withered up from its roots, and now he's teaching them they can do the same thing. And we talked about the fact, then why is it in our Bible? Is it just so we can eavesdrop and look, oh, look at the things Jesus taught his disciples. Wouldn't it have been nice to live back then and be one of his disciples? Well, you are one of his disciples. So the story's in there for our benefit which means the things he taught them he, that they could do, he did. He's teaching us we can do yeah. the same things he taught them to do. I'll talk about this later, probably not tonight, but it's interesting. I, I, I've created a list of how many times Jesus, somebody was healed, and Jesus' response was, yeah. it was done unto, according to your faith. I just meditate on that. Run that. What that means? It was done on account of their faith, which means it was available to others who didn't receive. In fact, there's a clear example where Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration with his with Peter, James, and John. He comes down, and the other nine are down there. There's a commotion going on because this man has brought his son, who's terribly possessed with demons. They throws him into the fire. He has these terrible fits. And, and, and the, father, the father sees Jesus coming off the mountain, runs over and says, My son is tormented. Would you please pray for him? I brought him to your disciples, and they pray for him, and he, they couldn't heal him. It's interesting. Jesus didn't stop back and say, Well, if they prayed, I guess it's not God's will. I mean, they prayed. So you can't find out what God's like by people's experiences. You cannot determine what God's will is and what he's like by looking at your experiences or other people's experiences. Why? Because there's a part we have to play. And there are other factors that can be involved in it. And so Jesus said the key words. He said, well, bring him to me. And Jesus cast the demons out of him. And there was great rejoicing, and the father left with his son. And the other nine come over and said, Master, we've got a question to ask you. 
So what is it? He says, how come we couldn't cast it out? And Jesus' answer is very direct. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't you know, necessarily nice, but it was a truth. He said, because of the littleness of your faith. Now, they didn't walk away condemned, saying, oh, we're terrible Christians. What, kind of, you know, what a piece of junk we are. They wanted to learn something. And then he went really dug it in. He said, all it takes is the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. Mustard seed is the very smallest seed in the Mideast. He said, that's all it would have taken, which means you didn't have that much faith. And what we do sometimes, we walk away feeling condemned. Well, it's my faith, it's my fault. No, often we don't understand what faith is. We've had the best of intentions, and we've gotten in hope. But hope is not faith. So Jesus is teaching them an incredible lesson here. He said, have faith in God. First of all, we talked, not faith in your faith. Not faith in yourself. Not faith in how well you prepared for this. Not faith in whether you fasted. Not faith in how many times you've read the scriptures. Have faith in God. Now, reading the scriptures, sometimes fasting, getting things right in your life, all those things will help you have faith in God. But it's faith in God that works. Not faith in yourself. And then he says, if you do that, then you shall say to this mountain, be thou taken up and cast into the sea. And then here's the critical thing. As long as you do not doubt in your heart, not your head, your heart, but you believe that what you said shall come to pass, you shall have what you said. Now that's hope so far. The next verse brings it down to faith. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you have received it and you shall have it. Now listen carefully to the time of that, the tense of those verbs. It's critical. He said, whatsoever things you desire. So you desire something you don't have. If you had it, you wouldn't need the desire, would you? So we're talking about something you don't have in your possession yet. It's not some substance to you yet. So whatsoever things you desire that you don't have in your possession yet, when you pray, what's praying? It's asking for it. So I don't have it in my possession yet, so my senses tell me it's mine yet, but I'm asking God for it. And because I have faith in Him, and I've asked Him for Him, now He says the key. What sort of things you do when you pray? Believe that you already have received it. Now, do I have it in my possession yet? No, I don't have it in my possession where I can touch it and say, I know it's mine because I can see it. I have to now use faith to believe that it's in my possession simply because I have faith that if I've asked God, He has already given it to me. And when I do that, then He says, then you shall have it. In Romans 4, if we looked on a little further, he says, I've got to start at the beginning of it. As is written, the Father of the nations, have I spoken to associate your descendants, be, uh, uh, who trust in God, who could raise the dead, and could cause things to be not as they were. In, in hope against hope, he believed in the order they might become according to that which was spoken, as associate your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, now, that's not where it is, it's in there somewhere. I probably ought to go back and look. <laughs> he believed 
in order that he might become. He believed in order that he might become. So the order is this. You don't have it. But you see that God's promised it. So you go to God and you ask him to give you something he's promised you. If he's promised you, he's already decided it's his will for you to have it. So that's settled. So there's no issue of what's your will or not because he's promised it. So you don't have to worry about his will. If he's promised it, he's just waiting for you to receive it because he's already given it. Well, how do I know he's given it? Because his word says he's promised it to you. That's why we have faith in God, in his character, that if he's promised it, he will give it to you. So now I ask him for it. I don't have it because I'm asking it for it. When I ask it for it, because I believe that he will do exactly what he says, then that confidence in him gives me substantiality because I know his character that I now know with a no certainty that I already have that. Even though I can't see the result yet, the substitute for seeing the result is my confidence in him that because I've asked him, he's given it to me. Therefore, I now to begin to act as if it's mine, not in order to earn it, because I have confidence that he's given it to me. Let me give you another scripture. 1 John chapter 5. I don't know about you, but this is helping me. So you just listen in. Verse 14. And this is the confidence. 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 And this is the confidence that we have in Him. Have faith in God. And what is the faith we have in God? What is the confidence that we have in Him? John tells us that if we ask anything in accordance with His will, He hears us. So the confidence that we have in Him is if we ask Him anything, 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 that's in accordance with his will. How do I know his will? It's sitting in your lap. It's incumbent on you to get in there and find out what he's promised you. And it's fine to find it in books, to get promised books, but there's nothing like digging in your own Bible and finding it for yourself. This is the confidence that we have in him. Have faith in God. That if we ask anything that's in accordance with his will, he hears us. Now the next verse tells us something about him. And we know that if he hears us, we already have what we asked. So if you ask according to his will, he hears. And we know this about him. If he hears you, you got it. We have such confidence that we have it, that that confidence becomes our substantiation for what we've hoped for. (coughs) Have faith in God. Have faith in God. 
Let me give you an example, a practical example. Well, I, I, I used a, you know, one of the clearest examples to us this afternoon. We were uh, finished up work here together, and, and, and we were heading home, and she said, well, you know, let's, let's, take, let's bring something home to eat tonight. And so we, we drove through a drive-in, one of the greatest acts of faith there is. <laughs> you drive up to that little microphone, which you can barely hear what they're saying. You hope they hear what you're saying. And you express your hope. I'd like whatever it is, you know, two, two, you know, chili, some chili. That was our order, two large chilies. And they said, thank you, proceed to the next window, it'll be whatever the price is. We go up to the next window, there's nothing there, there's no chili there. But there's a clerk with his hand out. Now there's another act of faith. I just expressed my hope, now I've got to act on my faith I got to take the 725 or whatever it is, and I got, there's still no chili there. I can't see any chili. Now think about this. I've got to have some confidence that that guy, I don't know who he is, in a red shirt with a funny looking hat he'd never wear anywhere else, silly uniform, that that young person's going to take my hard earned money, and the next person I haven't even seen yet at a window another 20 feet down the road, is going to hand me a bag with two cups of chili in it. That's faith. But let me give it a better example. Suppose you've been out of work for a while. and You're just barely making it. I mean, you're, you're, you're at a point of desperation, and there may be some of you there tonight, or near there. You hear about somebody that's hiring, and you go in for an interview, and you know you're, you're, you, you haven't, your family hasn't gone out to eat for a while because you've really, you know, you've cut everything down to bare bones. You've canceled cable and all the other things that weren't necessary, and you're just really getting barely getting by. And you go in, and you have your interview, and and they say we, we want to hire you, and here's what we're going to pay you, and they tell you what the pay is, and it's what you were making before. It's more than you've seen in a year. And you leave there, and what's the first thing you do when you get in your car? You get on your cell phone. Say, honey, guess what? I got the job. And already you're planning how to spend that first paycheck, aren't you? <laughs> you go home that night and you say, let's go out to eat. We haven't gone out to eat in a while. Where do you want to go? Well, let's pick the best place. Then you already get dressed up and you go out to eat. You haven't gone to work yet. <laughs> Have you? You haven't seen a paycheck yet, have you? You haven't worked one moment. You haven't seen a paycheck yet. All you have is that man's word that next Friday after you put in a work week of pay, he's going to pay you X number of dollars. You just have his word, but you're so confident in his word that his word is like having the money in your hand. It's as substantial to you as if you'd cashed that paycheck and saw that cash in your hand because the proof of it is you've acted on that word as if you had the cash in your hand. That man may not be saved. You don't know whether you can trust his word or not. And yet, Almighty God, who sets the stars in the heavens, holds everything up by the word of His power, says to you, 
whatever the promise is. It says, Jesus bore your sicknesses and carried your diseases. It says, my God shall meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. Whatever the promise is, it's a word of God to you. And when you take that word and you meditate on that word and see, here's the difference. You can have hope by just reading the word, the promise. But you've got to take that promise to get it beyond hope. You've got to meditate on it and think about it and read it and eat it and roll it around in your mind until it becomes more than a mental concept, but it drops down in you and it becomes real down inside. And if you've ever had that happen, you know when it happens, which means you know when it hasn't. If you're not sure whether you're in faith, you're not. You know when you are. Because you know that that promise is yours now, even though you can't see it. Because you know it in here. You can't touch it with these hands, but you can feel it and know it in here. And it's so real to you. When it shows up, it's like, oh, hi. I knew you were there all along. Faith and hope are not the same thing. Faith provides the substance to the hope. You need the hope first, because hope's the thermostat. It sets what you're believing God for. It sets what what your eyes are set on. You can't just have faith in a vacuum. There has to be a target for your faith, something that you're asking God, trusting God for. But just believing God is not faith unless you've come to the place where in your knower, as some people used to talk about, in your knower, you know that 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 you know it's yours now and nobody can talk you out of it. Whether the symptoms get worse or the situation looks worse, it doesn't matter because you know in here that it's yours and nothing can move you off of that. That's faith. It has a substance to you. So there's no condemnation if all we're doing is operating hope. We just need to understand we're in the first phase. But that's not enough. Hope's important. It's what keeps us going. It's what sets the goal. But hope is not faith. It's faith that receives from God, not hope. Jesus, never that I can remember, said, your hope has made you well. It's your faith. God has provided everything His Word promises. He has already provided. It's on the banqueting table. Faith, and we'll talk about this now, faith is what we re- how we receive what God has already promised into our lives. That's how you received your salvation. It was promised by God. Hebrews 1, or Ephesians 1.13 says, When you heard, you believed. When you heard, you believed. And when you believed, the Holy Spirit came in you and sealed you or joined you to Christ. That's how you were saved. And that's how Galatians chapter 3, we'll look at, says we receive everything from God. This is his, you, were, you receive the Spirit from God. How do you think God does miracles around you? By faith, not by your works. Faith is what receives from God because it all, we start acting as if it's ours because we believe it belongs to us 
even though our natural senses can't detect it yet because it hasn't come from the spirit realm. It becomes real in here before it becomes real out here. 